Welcome to Color Me Conscious. We have more in common than difference. Our intention is to explore the intersectionality that unites us and build consciousness about the layers of oppression we all carry. Color Me Conscious, where consciousness is at the forefront of the discussion about race. Conscious. I'm Mylika. And I'm Myra. And thank you for joining us today. We have a very special uh, episode here today. We are doing a seminar at one of our local hospitals. Mylika, do you want to tell us more about it? Yeah, so it's called um, Allyship Means Action. And today we brought a lot of like-minded allies together to activate them and start talking about the differences between apathy, empathy, and sympathy. And where do you fall in that spectrum? So, join us. Hi! <laughs> so my name is Millie Johnson. Um, I am a project analyst in the Vice Dean's office here at ZSFG and the co-host of Color Me Conscious podcast and... And I'm Myra. Uh, I am actually a registered nurse at UCSF. I work at the Parnassus campus in adult urology and the um, like surgical procedure clinic. And also, I am co-host of Color Me Conscious. So, thank you for having us here at Allyship Means Action. To me, this has been a really special group, a special gathering, and it's really encouraging and exciting every time we get together. I'm always like ready for the next one. I wonder what we're going to talk about and who's going to show up and how much fun and amazing things are going to come out of it. Um, sometimes I know that it gets deep. But we know that like the subject matter that we're talking about can sometimes be like dangerous topics that are triggering for people or whatever that you may feel from talking about it. I just want us all to like start from a very centered place, a very like open um, place, and um, to just kind of take everything that we're going to talk about kind of like from that place of like I'm an ally and I just want to be activated and I just want to kind of move forward, right, with some action, okay? So, who listened to the episode? That's a lot of hands. I'm excited. I'm so happy. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to be that many people. But, so, if you didn't listen to the episode, you can still listen to the episode. Um, it's on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple, Google Play, um, and also YouTube. Um, actually, season one's not on YouTube yet. We're going to put those up. But season two... Um, um, so season two is on YouTube now because we're doing videos to go along. Um, but basically, uh, episode four of season one um, was the, is the focus for today. And what we talked about in that episode, um, it got a little personal. <laughs> um, but also, we were really kind of focusing on the intersection of border separations and immigration issues and or <laughs> kind of like it's like an and or situation and um, police brutality and mass incarceration and abuses against black and brown bodies in America for citizens of the country right and how sometimes the media's coverage of those issues human rights violations and racial injustices can influence the way people feel about those issues, right? So if we only get our news from Fox News, you might feel one kind of way. If you only get your news from CNN, you may feel a different kind of way. But 
um, the way we operate in this country is like, you know, you have to get your news from somewhere. You have to know what's happening. Facebook isn't always the most reliable place to get your news from. But we also have to know that there are people behind all of those stories. And they have their own biases and they have their own thoughts and their own isms that are often influence the way a story is told and the way coverage is given and how much coverage is given versus how little coverage or how accurate the coverage is, right? That, that happens a lot. Yeah. So to provide kind of just like a summary of some of the key points from uh, episode four, um, the key points were basically talking about changes in um, the amnesty process at the border for, um, for uh, people seeking asylum. Um, also, the deplorable conditions um, for the treatment of uh, people who've been detained, as well as the media coverage, as Malika was saying, dictating uh, the variety of levels of empathy and apathy that uh, we all, as consumers of information, kind of access. Um, and we kind of pose the question of: Is it the chicken or the egg? You know, is it that? You know, people have more apathy towards one subject than another because of the media coverage, or is media coverage a reflection of what people care about? Um, and so we kind of pose more questions than giving any answers in particular, but we do want to use this time in this space. Um, it's such an honor to be here. I wanted to thank everybody um, for, for giving us the opportunity to host one of these meetings um, because we'd love to hear what your guys' thoughts and perspectives are as well. We'd love to know your reactions and, um, and what you guys uh, personally um, you know, feel, think, reactions, um, and, and hopefully we can come up with some sort of actionable step that all of us can do um, just to, you know, take uh, actions in our own ways as allies. It might look different for different people in the room, but it'd just be great to have a conversation about it. And so thank you so much for that. Um, I guess the one last point that was um, kind of salient in the episode was just talking about white privilege and the ways that um, white privilege, Mylika gives kind of like an anecdotal story about um, being verbally assaulted and here, um, <laughs> here, at, here at work, right? <laughs> and um, and one of the the things that I noticed about that was the level of emotional intelligence that's required of somebody who's being othered um, to kind of rise to the occasion, essentially, and and how that's like an unfair burden on a victim, um, but also noting that. Uh, it seems like people who do endorse, you know, white supremacy have low levels of emotional intelligence and just kind of making that observation as like there's not a lot of like ability to think outside of, you know, ourselves um, and, and how that is a symptom of white privilege, you know, because of white supremacist culture then as someone who's white I don't really have to think about what it's like for somebody else, whereas you know uh, a person of color or who's other for other reasons, you know, is going to have to think outside of those boxes. Right. So let's open it up right now. I we are most curious. I'm always curious from listeners. People have listened to the episodes. What did you think? What do you feel? Did it trigger you? Do you have comments? What do you think? Sure. Um, it really hurts me to think of how much energy Malika, you, 
and a lot of people of color have to put out to just tolerate the amount of racism that gets thrown at you all, all the time. Right? That um, as a white woman who doesn't experience that all the time, you know, I've certainly experienced the comments as a woman, and so I know something of what that might be feeling like on a regular basis to be walking around being harassed and threatened and all of that. But um, I struggle to know, other than if I'm in the moment there and hearing it and able to like jump in and intervene to sort of create some safety for you or sort of support you. It's hard for me to know like how can I how can I help impact decreasing those experiences here on this campus um, and just in the world at large. It's, it's a struggle. I feel like it takes um, very little uh, for people to put the negativity out there and it can happen in an instant unexpectedly and then the opportunity to do anything just disappears. Um, or, you know, it's people that I'm not going to see on a regular basis. So I just, that, that frustrates me a lot and that pains me just hearing your story and and knowing that I've seen stuff like that go on here, and like when I see it, I'll jump in. But I know it's happening all the time, and that that hurts and angers me. Mm -hmm. So that was a reaction that I had. Thank you. I like the story that you shared. Um, unfortunately, it was someone that you didn't have to interact with after that. You know, after that. Um, but when it's a person who you work with, and you have to then work with them. I think there's a cost with that because as women of color, or at least my experience as a woman of color, you then feel like if they don't understand what was dangerous of what that interaction was, then you are now tasked or burdened. The cost of their privilege is now that you're tasked and burdened with explaining it to them. And you're not entitled to your feelings in that interaction because you now need to become their educator. And there's the, the that onus that falls on the victim again. Mm -hmm. Like we were saying, it's like, oh, you've offended me, and now I have to understand you and me at the same time <laughs> to make it out alive. Like I'm just trying to, I'm trying to make it through my day. Right. But I've got to understand your hurt that's causing you to hurt me, and what does that do to me? And now I've absorbed your hurt and my hurt. Right. right, and, and then, then you have to meet that person where they're at because you have to assess what level they're at mm -hmm. and what kind of verbiage you could use. Where are they going to understand things and not? Especially if you're going to see them tomorrow. I'm going to see you tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And heaven forbid, it's a it's someone with a, a supervisor position. Heaven forbid, it's someone who has a power differential over you because that's a whole other thing. Like I mentioned that in the story that I told in the episode is that you know this guy could have been a patient. He literally had no shoes on. So we know typically when people present that way, either he just got discharged or he needs to be admitted. But either way, there's something going on there because you're not taking care of yourself the way that people that are in the right mind take care of themselves and wear shoes. So, um, <laughs> but, but but what I'm saying is that you know we see that a lot here. We, we do see that a lot. And at varying levels, um, there's times where, where I may have more, more power than another person, right? So then, for me, the fact that he was standing there with no shoes on, that told me a lot from, from before he even started speaking. And then I was like, okay, let me approach this with empathy after all that stuff happened. But if he were a man in a white coat, a lab coat, and he did the same thing, would my reaction have been different? Would, would I have felt different? I don't, I don't know, maybe, probably. Probably. Most likely. Most likely. <laughs> Most likely. Most likely. <laughs> <laughs> he, probably, he 
probably would have had a badge on, and then I could have figured out who he is and like who his supervisor is, and I would have like ran up the flagpole. But that's just me. Everybody doesn't do that. Everybody doesn't do that, right? Some people will just like shut down, or they'll feel so intimidated, or like they don't know what to do, and then you feel lost. And then there's a question of, well, what, what do I do with this? Where do I put this feeling? You know, and and like Hillary's saying, for people that observe things, it's like, what do I do with this? How do I step up as an ally in the situation I'm observing um, with the best of intentions, right? But you know, as soon as you step into a tornado, you're going to get hit with some debris. Like, you see it, but you know, and to me, that's that's the, the biggest takeaway, like, for for the story is like, if there had been someone else standing there, I would have hoped that they would say something, but if they didn't, it's, that's okay, I mean, it happens. Well, if they didn't though, that doubles the negative impact on you, right? Because now you've not only been harassed, but now you've watched somebody else ignore that instance. Mm -hmm. and, and it sort of adds to the pain of it, right? Right. That you know they didn't step up. And then if they didn't, because of my level of emotional intelligence, I can already understand that like there's probably a lot of barriers in their own mind to stepping up, right? Like like you said, I have to assess, well where, witness, where are you in your personal development? Like, have you done the unconscious bias training, like training or assessments? Like, maybe you haven't done it. Maybe you don't realize that there is space for you to step in as an ally. Or maybe you don't have the language. Maybe you're unaware, um, especially if the ally is a white person. I think that sometimes there's a there is a barrier for some white people in, in taking action as an ally because there's a fear of offending someone, there's a fear of misusing terms, there's a fear of just becoming now the brunt, like, now, oh, now I'm going to take this on. Am I ready for that? Am I ready to take that on? Am I ready to support a person being attacked in any kind of way? Do I feel equipped? Do I feel completely knowledgeable for that? Those answers vary for every person. Whether you're white or not, whether you're a ready ally or not, how you jump in or don't jump in, you know, that's completely up to you. But I think that, like, what what we want to do today is just start to think about when you're in a situation where you are being othered or you're witnessing othering happening, you're witnessing offenses happening, you need to be able to very quickly identify, am I feeling sympathetic towards the situation? Am I feeling empathetic towards the situation? Or do I feel apathetic? Because I feel like those three things, that you could feel them all at once, you could feel them in sequence, you could feel them again and again as, it, as a situation carries on, but how you feel about it is going to dictate what you do or what you don't do, okay? Any other thoughts before we move on to the next thing? Yes. Well, and I think, I mean, fundamentally, I think <clears throat> the point that I want to make sure is really clear is this idea that um, and I'm, I'm going to actually say black people in particular, because I think people of color is, you know, obviously there's um, personal color and I have an experience, but I think for the purposes of, of my learning, I'm trying to be intentional about looking at, um, at the experience on this campus of black and African American people in particular. And I think that um, one of the things that, um, you know, it, it, if you're not, Literally, if you're just like walking through, around, listen to conversations, sit in meetings, just go about your business, you are going to be confronted with things that are troubling to you on a daily basis. So as, as allies or, or other people of color, when we are 
discussing this with somebody, it's like you've already edited and not mentioned probably a hundred things that affected you over the past week. So if somebody's bringing up one thing, like that's like one, that's like the tip of the iceberg, right? The whole iceberg underneath the water that's let, left undiscussed because you just don't have enough energy, mm -hmm. you don't have enough time in the day mm -hmm. to do all that stuff you just mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. Do the assessment, check in with the person, you know, <laughs> like that's just too time consuming and frankly not practical and exhausting. So mm -hmm. I just think for those of us who are like trying to be allies and sitting with people who are having these experiences, like whatever they're telling you is only like this much and whatever emotion they're bringing to it is only this much of what has actually gone on. And so it needs to be handled very deliberately. <laughs> that's just my personal feelings. Thank you. Yeah. And that's, that's, a really, a that's a really salient point. I would also just like to point everyone to the Office of Diversity and Outreach website, because there are a lot of resources, tip sheets, and uh, links to other websites that have um, suggestions and ways to help. Like, So if you haven't um, considered going through the um, the program that Hillary went through, the, um, it's the called? Diversity and Inclusion Certificate Program for UCSF staff. So it's a semester-long uh, cohort model program to teach you a lot about these kinds of issues. And it basically, at the end of it, you have a certificate that says, I am diverse and inclusive. And <laughs> that's what it says. It says, I, and then blank, and you write your name, and then it says, am now diverse and inclusive. That's it. Like it gives you, it gives you some of the tools. It gives you some of the language. It gives you some of the permission that you <coughs> needed to be able to be a more active ally and to be able to kind of bring um, growth and promotion, right? Um, in your everyday life, because it's not just at work. We experience this stuff everywhere you go. We all live in a country. We all live in MAGA country, apparently. So there, there's a lot. There's a lot that um, you can use and pull from. Um, and I think that we as employees of this institution should take advantage of that. And even if you're a DPH employee, you can go to the website, you can go off to the diversity and outreach website, just like anybody else. There's no UCSF login required in order for you to take advantage of some of those resources, okay? So, you guys too. Hey, yeah, you guys too. I almost forgot about you. I can't forget the people. Um, okay, so um, I guess I'm curious just from uh, the listeners if there was anything that else that you guys wanted to share, maybe any points that you guys didn't necessarily agree with what we were saying or you, you know, thought something at all that was like, you know, maybe not, um, like maybe you didn't like what we're saying. Yeah. Or, or we could have said it a different way. Are you willing you know? to state that? <laughs> well, I know that's hard because it's like on camera and stuff like that. But no, I'm curious because it because it is kind of it's a triggering topic. And one of the the concerns that I had in in recording the episode and putting it out there was we weren't trying to do like a you know a, what's it called oppression Olympics here. You know, we're not trying to compare one, you know, the border separations and what's happening there to Black Lives Matter and say one is worse than the other, you know. Um, I know that within our society, especially right now, there's so much of this, like, division that's just being bred in every single, like, allyship movement, for example, like the women's movement and um, the way that, especially when we talk about racism, it can 
um, it can be very triggering and people can, you know, um, feel like, well, you know, the maybe the enemy of my enemy is my friend in this situation, but we're, we actually can't really work together in all things. And so um, I just kind of wanted to put it out there and, and hear what people's thoughts are. Whether you agree or not, you're welcome to totally disagree. If you agree, though, I'd love to know kind of just what your thoughts are about why is there so much, you know, apathy towards permanent family separation when it comes to police, uh, police brutality and murdering of black bodies compared to what we were seeing, the, the overwhelming, you know, and rightfully so indignant outrage about the, uh, the, the border separations. I mean, what are your guys' thoughts of why did one garner so much empathy and the other continuously doesn't? I definitely felt that there's bias toward, you know, that juxtaposition between the Black Lives, Black Lives Matter and police brutality not being covered at the same level as, and not getting the same level of white outrage as the border separations, which merits, I mean, they're equally egregious. Um, and it made me think of a particular um, uh, police, well, was a police brutality anti-black racism story that had really moved me a lot, but then I realized there was even bias in that story, which was, was a story about a 14-year-old black boy, I think it was in Michigan, I'm not sure, in the suburbs, who had missed his bus and walked to school and rang a doorbell in a suburban area, and the homeowner, the wife had, like, started screaming at him, the husband came out with a shotgun and fired at the little boy, and he ran. Luckily, in that case, the cops came and actually help the boy and the, the homeowner actually ended up getting charged and arrested. But I remember being so moved by that story that, you know, that could be my boy and this little, but even the fact that he was like a suburban, and they made a big deal of the fact that his father was serving overseas in the military. You know, it was like, oh, this boy, this right. black boy is particularly, is deserving of our empathy in this family and they interview and that they that story did get a fair amount of press but I thought about all the other black boys that were killed that didn't get as much sympathy as this this boy who survived and just how even how that story had particularly moved because this boy you know he's like this dubious boy with glasses I don't know like they just portrayed him as a certain way like this suburban black boy like good black boy and I thought wow there was even even that story that did get coverage shows our underlying bias about which children are merit are well that that also reminds me of the coverage around um, when the Sikh temple had a terrorist attack in the Midwest and they kept emphasizing over and over again that Sikhs aren't Muslims yeah Ooh, that's an important difference. that was like an important distinction that needed to be made in the wow. broadcasts but it was repeated over and over again, um, wow. and it was really like, what the hell? Like, See, because um, you're a certificate, you're able, like, your antennas went off, and they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I saw if it was a boss, but it's okay. It's almost like you're, you, we're, at a, we're at a higher level of development, so you're able to even see it, whereas I think people who haven't done that work yet, it will go right over their head. I think there were a lot of people who nodded along and went, right. oh, yeah, they're right. not even Muslims. Right. You know, and don't even... As if that's justified, right? Like, as if, right. oh, if we go into a mosque and kill a bunch of Muslims and it's like, wow, well, we're fighting terrorism. Like, oh, so. well, you know, they're Muslims. Yeah. So, you know, I right. think, you know, that's, that's part of that narrative that people are so stuck in. Mm -hmm. And the way we talk about stuff 
influences how we see things. Um, so it's a very dangerous kind of Looking at the separation of children and parents because everybody can connect to that on some level versus um, trying, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but I kind of, I still, I don't think it's right. I just think that that's what they're, they're grabbing at to get the masses to really get enough emotion to get um, uh, some sort of reaction versus when um, a black person is murdered, not everybody maybe they think can connect with it for whatever reason because their own bias of being white themselves or whatever or not a color. And I don't think it's right. I just, um, I think that there's, the media plays on people's emotions to get a certain opinion, to get a certain reaction. And if that's monetarily wise or more um, business for that group, then that's what they're going to play on. And is, yeah. it, is it ethical? No, to, I mean, it's totally wrong. To clickbait people that yeah, way, no. right? Like but you see it everywhere. It happens all the time. CNN, like everywhere. Well, it's like that's the, the, infotainment and journalism. Correct. And you're going to be infotainment, not journalism. Right. But I think that's why they said the seek thing. That that's like it's infotainment. It's not. <laughs> I would say, yeah, that's an excellent point, and the sensationalism of the visual imagery of children in cages, you know, is something that, you know, it just was really, could just grab people and just be like, what the hell is that? Versus you see another, you know, black mom crying on TV, and you're just like, there's a lot of assumptions that are underlined in who that person was and, you know, whether or not they really deserve our empathy, unfortunately. Margaret, what did you, did you have, have to say? <clears throat> I agree, that's a great point, but I also think you're giving them too much credit. I think there's a ton of unconscious bias that goes into oh, reporting, right? So it starts from the place of probably mostly white people creating the news and not seeing mm -hmm. that the way they're choosing to report something is biased. Yeah, I feel like so. they're using their own bias initially to then get what is beneficial for them. <coughs> As, yeah. Yeah. To maintain the Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a comment as well? Um, yeah, I think it might be a little unrelated, uh, but um, I was, you talked a little bit earlier about just how people are at different levels of their work um, and how they both hear and respond um, to the type of um, discrimination and, and aggressions, <coughs> macro and micro, that we see. And it struck me, you know, with Naomi's example, I think, um, so, to me, it feels like the example you gave of showing, you know, kind of trying to justify a black boy that is terrible that a black, this black boy was treated like this because of all these reasons. For people who are further along, it, that is that reaction. Why do we need to justify it? It's a, it's a little boy. But it also, I guess the question I have about this is for people who are, have not even started this work, um, the question is, you know, is there benefit actually to bringing a black boy into a realm that people can start being like, like, whoa, you know, this is, he's a right? And it's not what like we, the kid that lives I, next door to me, except his skin's dry. Exactly. And it's sad that huh. someone would need, like, to think about it like that, but we do recognize, as you said, we seem to be living in a different country than 
we thought we were. Um, and because of that, I just wonder if there are people that like that might actually be the first step. Like I never considered that a black boy could be so similar to my right. Yeah. Um, that's a very interesting flip on it. Yeah, but that's the that is point. the disconnect that happens a lot, and that comes as a derivative of white privilege, right? So right. living in a country that's Absolutely. steeped in white supremacy right. enables white privilege and the privilege that is given to those that have power or are seen as what's at the top of the heap is that that's not a human being, right? And if we look back in the history of the country, that's actually property. So <coughs> I treat my cows the way I do because that's how I do. And whether people acknowledge it or not, like that's where it comes from. Right. Wait, whether people are aware consciously in the front of your mind and how you speak and how you behave, whether or not, it's subconscious. And we all have to accept the fact that that's the country that we live in. Whether you were born here or you came here, that's what America is. So make America great again. When? <laughs> like when? Because if I know history, then I'm honestly like, this is the best time it ever was to be black in America. Like, right now. <laughs> I mean, I miss Obama too, but like. <laughs> but we got you know, oh, that's another topic. What did you, what did you have to say? So, especially around this issue when it comes to police brutality, I think it's also important to recognize that we experience, our experience with the police in our communities is very different. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, we're taught and like the assumption is the police are inherently good. And so when you see police brutality, I think many of us still make this assumption that that person must have done something bad. So I think we automatically come from a place of much less white people do. White, 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 white people, people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is as we should be as Position is just like there's been a lot of um, MAGA activity in the last like few days that has been really detrimental. I mean, from the Jesse Jesse Smollett. I mean, that's absolutely horrible, horrific. Um, like thoughts and prayers to you know him and his family and recuperating. And like I hope that like those people are held accountable for what they did. Um, but this is also like one of many things that they've done. Um, and when you look at like the narrative that's portrayed of these you know, basically teenage and college, you know, college age, young, mostly white men. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw, there was like a viral thing where they had, um, they were verbally assaulting a, an elderly um, indigenous man. And then there was just this entire like parade of like defending these college students and like, oh, but they're good kids and blah, 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 blah. And like, it's just very interesting to see the way that like a young white man is portrayed in the media when he's clearly assaulting somebody on camera versus when a young black man is actually killed on camera, then, then you know, where's the people coming to, you know, defend his character? You know? It happens on black Twitter. 
<laughs> it doesn't happen on it CNN. Happen, no, it happens. It just happens to get the yeah. coverage. Like it's Instagram it and Black Twitter. It definitely <laughs> happens. Like he gets a hashtag, right? But right. it doesn't. But but maybe it doesn't translate, right? And it doesn't permeate into the consciousness of everyone the same way that like because the media coverage is a force. There's a right. force there because as you receive information, especially as for the first time you receive information, right. the way it's said, the language matters. The way it's presented to you can actually influence how you even feel about right. it, right? I mean, the fact that MAGA is not just like, <coughs> oh, like being discussed everywhere as a white supremacist hate group, and that because domestic that is terrorism? what they are, they're a domestic terrorists, they're a white supremacist hate group, then they should be like held accountable for that. And right. we should have, you know, I was looking, I went to Southern Poverty Law Center, um, it's, you know, one of the groups that tracks hate groups, and I didn't see as much as I wanted to on them when it came to all of like the headlines and stuff. and. I just, you know, um, I personally, I'm thinking of like, like writing a report about it. <laughs> I was like, I want to file a report um, to Southern Poverty Law Center about MAGA because they were even in San Francisco, uh, what is it? Um, Dolores Park, like mm. a couple of days ago, you know, advocating about the borders and saying all these inflammatory things about building the wall and anti-immigration. <laughs> and it reminded me of um, when I was in college, there was a group, I went to SF State. And there was a group called the uh, College Republicans, and they did very similar things and did just awful hate speech. And to be honest with you, at the time, I really didn't know access to the resources, you know, of actually like reporting it. But um, when I graduated, the keynote speaker at San Francisco State was actually um, the founder of Southern Poverty Law Center. He's also an alumni from San Francisco State. He's an attorney, and um, the organization, for anybody who's not familiar with it, they actually um, just go after hate groups, and they sue them, and tr they try to bankrupt the leaders, and they've been successful in closing down different chapters of various hate groups. <laughs> so I think anybody who's interested and has had like a, ma a MAGA you know, interaction, I implore you to file a complaint, a hate report with Southern Poverty Law Center because I think that we should go after MAGA. Thank you for listening. And if we made you think and you'd like to continue the conversation, visit our website, www.colormeconsciouspodcast.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Color Me Conscious Podcast. <laughs>